Hey guys, Adam here. This is not an episode of the Startup Diary and there's no Harrison on the mics today. Before you stop listening, this is still going to be an interesting show. This is an episode of Startup Stories. This is where I get to interview interesting people from the world of business and hear about their journeys, their wins, their losses and what they've learned along the way. If you would like to go and catch up with every episode because season one has already finished, head over to Startup Stories and hit subscribe. Alternatively, we're going to be dropping every show here every Saturday until the end of season one. There's eight episodes in each season. Enjoy. Dimos, firstly, a huge thank you for giving up your time today. For the listeners of the show, could you just give an introduction to who you are and I guess spend two minutes talking about the Marlin app and what it does. And then we can dig into how you've literally cannibalized your own business and potentially risk putting yourself out of business with your own product. Well, Adam, thank you firstly for inviting me onto the show. Um, it's great to be to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm founder. My name is Demos and I'm founder of the Marlin app, um, which is an app that actually connects employers directly with job seekers. So exactly as you say, um, we have cannibalized our own agency uh, by taking middlemen out of the equation. Um, the Marlin app allows employers to search through profiles that we've pre-verified and contact them directly for opportunities and have a chat about you know what opportunities those employers have. Like it. Let's go back to 2013. You had you've, you've had a physical bricks and mortar space, and if we fast forward to today, you're a you're solely a, a technology company, aren't you? Correct. Yes. Cool. Just walk me back through the thought process in terms of what you guys were going through in 2013 and how the, I guess the okay. original versions of the app came about. <clears throat> so in 2013, um, we we started as an initial as a as a recruitment agency supplying domestic household staff for, for large houses in London and internationally. Um, we were doing that, and as as sort of as the years went by, the market did start to change. Um, as naturally as most markets, there was competition, um, and ultimately employers were questioning fees from not just our agency but many agencies because obviously an agency bringing value to sort of the candidate and the employer um, with the connection that everybody has with you know online um, has become more and more difficult. Now, in 2008, fast forward to 2018, still through our recruitment agency, um, we had a request from a, from a household um, in London looking for a large number of staff. Now, as most recruitment agencies would do, we were contacting uh, a number of uh, staff to see whether they were available for this particular opportunity. As part of that process, one of the things that, you know, we're a small team, and one of the things that we questioned was, yeah, this is a really... Uh, really mundane task of contacting candidates um, to see if they're available, them sending an updated CV, us sending them a job description and just going through that process time and time again. So we said, well, let's, let's sort of develop an app that we can use internally so we can communicate with candidates to talk about the opportunity. Um, they can see our latest job so they can apply instead of having to keep sending their CVs in. That worked really well, and for about six months, we had candidates registering. Uh, feedback from them was fantastic that they didn't have to upload a CV every time and keep applying, and they could chat with us at any time. 
And then we had the realization of, well, you know, if employers had access to this, um, to these candidates that we have already registered, then they would, you know, they can contact them themselves. Yes, there's a little bit more um, onus on them. But what we have found over the years is that ultimately, you know, people hire people and the quicker we can get the employers in direct contact with job seekers, um, the better. Um, because as an agency in the middle, you know, it's a third party. So often things that maybe an employer hasn't, hasn't said about the role or a job seeker hasn't said about their, you know, their current situation often comes out in a conversation between the two. And then, you know, fast forwarding really to, to now, and we've just gone down the route of, at the end of the day, the industry does have to change because recruitment agencies you know, and the model is a very old business model. Um, and the app, in our opinion, is the future, you know, connecting employers directly to job seekers. It streamlines the whole process. It saves a lot of time and it's cost effective for employers. I love that. And everything you said makes complete sense sort of logically, I guess, emotionally is what I want to go into because you've got bricks and mortar presence and that's all got its own cost. Like when, when you launch this app and then you have those internal thoughts about actually there's, there's probably a better business to be had here. Like who had that idea within the team? Uh, and then how was that actually internally communicated? Because that's, that's a really brave step. Was it a, a black and white transition or was it let's run two businesses side by side and see if this thing has some legs. So originally the idea came from me, um, as I'm sure, you know, you get the ideas at some funny moments, um, <laughs> you know, standing in the shower one morning thinking to myself, well, you know, hang on a second here. If employers had access to this, what would this do to our business? And you start running everything through. So when I first came into the office and said it, uh, to the team, they were like, you know, you crazy. Um, you know, ultimately you're going to destroy the agency by doing this. And then we spoke it through a lot more and we, we went down the route of, as you say, you know, let's, let's keep the bricks and mortar business there for now. And let's talk to employers as well and see what employers think, because ultimately uh, we know that the job seekers like the idea, but are the employers going to like the idea? Uh, and we started to do that. We spoke to employers that we had maybe done business with previously uh, and people that we hadn't done any business with at all. Um, maybe that they didn't want to use an agency because of fees or something previously. And the feedback in general was very, very good. They could see that there was a real need for it. Um, so we were running the two together from the beginning, uh, at the beginning rather. Uh, and then gradually the, the bricks and mortar business um, has slowed down. A quick question on the feedback. As a as a business over here, uh, we've we do lots of focus groups and insights and try and collect feedback from users. And asking for feedback is one thing, but sort of validating it and sort of getting someone to put the money where their mouth is is another thing. How did you actually find out if what they were saying was valid and to prove the model out uh, compared to they were just being nice to you because uh, you're on the phone with them or they're in person? Like, how do you qualify feedback in in this situation? That is a very, very good question. Um, and I mean, what we tried to do in the early days was certainly when we had the first versions of the app was to get those same employers who gave us the feedback to actually sign them up um, for a trial. Um, and that's the thing that we've been focusing on the last six months is just to get employers on board on a trial basis, just to actually communicate with candidates and really change the way that they 
that they look at employment and maybe have this as an additional tool um, to everything else that they're doing. So ultimately, the validation of, the, of that question has been from employers coming on board um, after those questions and using it and coming back to us to say, yeah, we like it. Um, we'd love to see this as a feature or that as a feature. Um, the majority of the feedback that we get, because obviously we're still at early stages with the app in terms of uh, candidates. I mean, uh, we've got thousands of candidates on there, but in a lot of cases for an employer who's maybe in a remote part of the UK or somewhere international, there just isn't the candidate base. And a lot of the feedback that we get is as soon as you have a larger candidate base, we will be, you know, we will be a subscriber with you for sure. M- makes complete sense. And I made three notes about the, from what you just said, and I really want to try and dig into all three in this conversation. So I'm going to try and be concise from my side is when you rolled this model out, this app as a, as an additional service, how did you think about pricing this? Did you see it as a, a lower price point option, but you would class yourself as the consultant layer that sits on top as the premium? Or is this a, a more premium service down to speed? Like how did you think about the pricing internally when you were testing this out? Well, originally, because of the the clients that we used to deal with before, um, we were dealing with the ultra high net worth market originally. Um, so traditionally, there was a lot of work that was involved in in going out and headhunting um, headhunting staff. And can you just share what the normal fee structure like in the more traditional bricks and mortar model, so we can kind of compare apples to apples in terms of what you do now? Absolutely. So uh, traditionally, we would have charged anywhere between fifteen and twenty percent of um, an annual salary, um, the first year's annual salary um, on the traditional um, model. And as a a subscription model on the app, we were looking to not just bring the cost down um, for those types of... um, those types of clients but make those same candidates that we were dealing with more accessible to smaller households and other businesses because ultimately we're looking at other sectors as well so bringing that down to originally we were looking at pricing having like a one month access so they could just if they were hiring just for one member of staff let's say and they knew they were going to hire them within the next 30 days um, access to, to that would cost them just under £300. If they committed for a longer term, then that was going to be just under £100 if that was like a 12-month commitment. And was that, that, sorry, that was, sorry to interrupt, was that access um, regardless of success? It's you've got 30 days, go, go and hunt, or is it 30 days, 300 quid, if you're successful, you pay £300? No, £300 go and hunt, and there was every day that more candidates are joining, you have access to those as well. I like that. Um, but what we've since done since that time, having the two sort of pricing models, in our opinion, makes it, it confuses it a little bit. Um, so what we've done now is we've just said £150 a month. Um, they can have access for a month or, you know, three months. Uh, if it's a longer term and it is going to be 12 months, we would look to normally discount that. But we're having these conversations with employers um, more on a personal basis now because obviously it's smaller scale. And I guess that sort of uh, segues nicely onto the next uh, item on the list for me mentally is as you bring new people on. So I've run a marketplace business in the past and we're sort of stepping back into doing a marketplace business here at Expert Trades right now, um, which is matching homeowners with trades professionals. And 
six years ago when we first tried it, we had all the supply side. We had every plumber, electrician, heating engineer, you name it. But we didn't have any homeowners using the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that we had is it, it was free. So we could we could sort of buy ourselves time. I guess with you, if someone's paying £150 a month and they can't find a candidate, how are you balancing this traditional marketplace chicken and egg problem? And I guess the expectations of your customers when they, when they come on board. So right now, um, we've done the same thing in that we've, we're providing it mainly for free, certainly on a, you know, a seven-day trial or a 30-day trial with some employers. For us, the, sort of the, the financial side of it, it isn't really in the picture yet because we just want to build the community at this stage. We want the employers to talk to those candidates that have already registered to talk about opportunities. Ideally, they do hire them, but in a lot of cases, even if it's just the communication between the two parties so that you know, candidates can feel that they can trust the platform, that there are going to be opportunities in the future. So that's what we're more focused on rather than the actual financial element of it right now. Obviously, as as both sides uh, start to, to increase, then, then uh, the financial side will come into it. Okay, makes sense. And from a, from a platform perspective, is, are you guys looking at becoming purely just a platform play or is there still some level of vetting or verifying of the people that apply on both sides of this marketplace that you go through? I'm trying to work out, once you've built the technology, what's the... What's the extra secret source or the value on top of that that the Marlin app offers? Well, at the moment, we're talking with employers to see what kind of additional features you know they would like as a service. Um, and at the moment, it's a little bit of a mixed, um, a little bit of a mixed response because it depends on the size of a business or a household that is using the app. If they have the resources they just want access to the platform uh, as it is just to, to get names and to be able to contact candidates directly. If you go to a smaller team, some of them maybe want some extra reference checking. Um, we may even add some form of interviewing uh, process at a later date, but these are like value-added services that we see as a, as a bolt-on really to a subscription at a later date. But what those exact services are going to be, it's very difficult to stay at this stage because, as I say, it's quite a mixed bag of, of um, responses that we get from the, from the employers. To be honest, I guess you just really answered, answered it for me in terms of uh, your team has all the experience from doing the bricks and mortar side, whereas if you dumped three, five really smart techies, I'm just going to say, uh, in a room, they could probably build the technology, but they wouldn't have the insight and the relationships that you have. I guess your real USB is you've done the bricks and mortar business and you are, you are literally putting yourself out of business with your own product. Um, exactly. So that's the real, the real value that you drive. And I guess to talk about uh, techies in terms of the development of this, um, how did you manage that? So originally it was a, an internal app for you guys to use uh, just for your own candidates to streamline, I guess, your own efficiencies. Uh, was that done externally, internally? And then moving forward, have you, because you're a technology company now, have you thought about bringing that in-house? Okay, so I originally studied software engineering um, at university. I did actually drop out after the second year to pursue my IT business at the time. Um, and didn't really use much of that software engineering um, learning in those years until now. Uh, so originally I started it just to, to develop a prototype, uh, thinking that looking at the tools that are out there, develop a prototype that we could then take to a developer and say, okay, this is what we're looking at. These are the screenshots. Can you make this work? Um, and I just got more and more involved in it until I actually got a proper working prototype. And then it just got more and more and more. Now, ultimately we obviously need to bring in uh, developers um, you know, we're at the stage now where we're thinking about um, investment 
uh, some seed funding so we can pull in developers, but we want to develop it all in-house because the one massive advantage that we have had, uh, yes, we're a small team, but the fact that I've been able to develop it with the team is that you know we could be talking today about a feature that we want to add into it, by tomorrow afternoon, you know, it could be in and it's in, you know, submitted to the store. And right, if we had that as an external uh, team, I think those changes would take a little longer. Um, and I don't think we'd have the same, it wouldn't have the same effect. No, I agree. I mean, when I, when I first built AF, so I, I, I know a little bit about tech that makes me dangerous because I think I know more than I do. Um, so I actually hired an agency up in Sheffield to help me build the first our first platform and i guess two things happen to me is is one every feature request has a has a large price tag on it and you really have to think about it could be good practice but you really have to think about what you build but also an external agency just builds the feature as you've outlined black and white whereas because you're physically doing the work now you know how it relates to the whole product the app and how the the candidates and how the employees on both sides are going to interact with it so nothing gets lost in translation Really cool. Um, exactly. One thing you just said is uh, there's a misunderstanding on my side. I actually thought you raised some funding. So in terms of how you're rolling this out and bootstrapping it right now, how, like how is that being funded out of curiosity and tell me if I'm being too bloody nosy, but is it the bricks and mortar side of business is still generating income or how's that working? No, you're not being nosy at all. It's a good question. Um, so originally it was the bricks and mortar business that was funding it. Um, and then since then, it's been uh, personally funded, friends and family borrowings, things like that, until we get to uh, until we get to seed funding, really. And I guess the the thing that I'll probably get shot from the listeners if I don't ask the question is, uh, what what milestone are you trying to get to before you think you're ready for seed funding? And then what's the process that you're going to try and follow to get that done? Well, actually what happened was when we, when we started the, um, the employer side of the app and we, and we developed it and we started to talk to employers, we had this vision of uh, probably naively actually that, okay, we've built it now. We've had some great feedback. It's installed, ready to download. Let's go out and start talking to some investors. Um, we're looking to raise some money. We've got the product. We've done our, our pitch decks. This should be not easy, but you know we have a product. Looking at a lot of other sort of ventures that are out there, maybe they've got a you know a white paper of an idea and, and some research and stuff. So this should be a lot easier. Um, but as I'm sure listeners that may have gone out and uh, looked for funding previously, you know, this is, it's not actually a very easy process. And one of the stumbling blocks that we've, well, we've come across a couple of stumbling blocks and the two major ones are uh, the first one is you're not looking for enough money. Um, it needs to be a much bigger deal. And when it is a bigger deal, come back to us and talk to us. Um, whether that's a polite way of saying, uh, you know, we just don't want to invest uh, is yet to be seen, but we'll obviously be contacting those people at a later date to see. Um, and the second uh, element of that is being revenue generating. Um, you know, our focus hasn't been on the revenue as such, but obviously that plays a big part for raising money. So uh, two months ago, we took the decision to say, let's put the investment side of things. It's there still in the background. We're having conversations with people, but that's not the main focus now. Our main focus is to get as many employers as we can on board, ideally uh, paying for it. Um, and then let's go back to those sort of investment uh, routes and see if we can, if raising the money is going to become easier that way. From a marketplace perspective, you just mentioned about going to those employers. And this is, again, just me being curious. That's one of, to be honest, that's one of the reasons I love this show is because I can just be nosy and speak to 
interest in people like yourself and learn. How are you approaching, um, I guess from the employer side, you've got all the relationships or a lot of them. How do you go about finding and recruiting new candidates? Like how are you building that side, the supply side of your business right now? So the supply side until now has been that we, we had an initial head start, obviously, because we had some candidates on board from our bricks and mortar business. Um, and since then, it's been they can share in the app as well to other candidates, which has helped uh, and also social media. Um, but we haven't done any major marketing. Uh, and that's part of the investment that we're looking to secure is to is to go out and market it to really um, build up the supply side. Yeah, I guess you're, you're in a really interesting point now where they want to be able to see, and, and is it seed or VC money that you're looking for? Seed money. Oh, okay. Perfect. Okay. Uh, cause, uh, yeah, you've, you'll hear, I know you, you've recently subscribed to the startup diary. You'll hear some of the, uh, I, I class myself as being on the VC treadmill. Uh, and, uh, I think I've made a lot of mistakes raising cash. So I've gone from uh, bootstrap to seed to a bit of venture capital. Uh, and, uh, there's probably a, a beer to be had, uh, in the uh, near future when you, when you start to go down the, down that channel. Um, so one last thing from me, not a last thing, but one thing that I really want to make sure I get on the mics is as I sort of looked into the business, um, how do you think or feel about the fact that there's a, there's a lot of incumbents in the space. There's a lot of big companies in, I'm just going to say the traditional job matching space. Uh, how do you stop them from turning what you do on as a feature or feel about them turning it on as a feature, as a risk to the business? I don't really see that as a huge risk, if I'm honest with you, um, because at the end of the day, their, their sort of business model is very, very different to ours. And I think the only way that we'd see something like that as a threat is if they really changed completely, changed the business model completely, because uh, as, as a great example, you know, as an agency, we had an office. We had an office because we needed to meet with candidates. They were coming in regularly for interviews, things like that. Yeah, we're a tech business now. We all work remotely. Um, we've saved a massive cost there. Um, and you know, other, other sort of big businesses that are going to look at this space and say, well, let's just add that as a feature. I think that's going to be almost like a, that's not going to be the real deal, you know? In terms of, the next sort of three to five years for the business. Uh, what, what you, what, where do you see this going? Like how quickly does this thing accelerate? Uh, and then I guess once you've, once you've sort of defined who you are, where do you want to, where, I guess what I'm trying to work out is where do you take this business to? How big can this business get? Well, to give you an idea, um, the recruitment industry as a whole uh, in 2016 generated 425 billion pounds in, in revenue, um, internationally. So it is a huge market. Um, obviously lots of businesses, uh, large and small hire staff. Now we started in the private household staff side because that's where our bricks and mortar business, um, was, but there's a big overlap with hospitality as well. So hotels, restaurants, and that's our first area that we're concentrating on that, that sector. Uh, but ultimately, as, as the years go by, we're looking to go into as many sectors uh, as possible because we see this as an app that, you know, a retail um, shop owner could say, you know, I'm looking for some staff, be it temporary, be it permanent, access the app, contact the people that he wants to, to you know, he or she wants to interview, um, 
going to the other end of the scale, a large corporation who maybe already use recruitment agencies, maybe advertise on job boards, and this is an additional tool that they have um, to get access to candidates. Uh, and then just going sector by sector where we feel there is a, a real need for for the app. I like it. I think I think it's a, it's a no-brainer in terms of you're playing in a really, really big market. And I think probably the thing that excites me most about when we jumped on the mics is the move that you've taken is it's not for tech guys, girls, whatever, jumping into a room to build a product because they can see it working. It's people that have been in the industry, done the bricks and mortar, and then cannibalize their own business. So I think that's like the moat around what you guys build. Um, I'm super excited to follow along with the journey. I guess Thank you very much. One, one, uh, one last question for me, and I, I always want to uh, try and ask this and, and hope to get the, the most genuine answer, is what actually keeps you up at night right now when it comes to the business? Like, What's the thing that you are most concerned about? I think the biggest concern that we have, that I have, that does keep me awake, and it does wake, you know, it does wake me up uh, in a cold sweat sometimes as well, and that is that is what we're doing um, – there's no, there is no doubt that the market does need to change. There's no doubt about that. Um, are we, sometimes I think, you know, are we too early? Um, we're definitely not too late, that's for sure, because certainly in our sector, we, you know, we are the first mover in our sector. Um, so it's just how quickly will the market move and will it be as big as we hope it will be? Um, so it's just that, as I said, not doubt as such, because it isn't a doubt, but it's just, I think, Somebody recently said, you know, you've got that thing of dipping your toes in the water first to see, you know, is this a credible market? And then we're sort of coming along and we're just diving in, you know, to say, right, yeah, we're just getting rid of the bricks and mortar business. Let's just go for it. I love um, that. I, you know, I think- are we going to, you know, we're halfway across the pond now. Now, I'm an optimist and, you know, I'm, I'm really all in on this. And it's a case of, you know, we have to swim to the other end. But there is always just that little that little voice inside that says, you know, are you on the right path? Uh, is there something there that, you know, you've maybe missed or something like that? So I think from an analogy perspective, I love that. I mean, I've, I, you, you probably heard it, that being an entrepreneur is like jumping off a cliff and building the plane on the way down. Absolutely. I, I, sort of, I, I really echo with that. Um, the thing that I heard from what you said, and it's exactly the same with me, and it has been for the last three to four years, is... So I'm in, a, I'm, in a, I'm in the construction industry. It's very antiquated, very old. And um, everyone in this industry tries to be the best of a bad bunch. Uh, so we're very slow. Uh, and I'm kind of like, it always comes down to timing. Like I know what we're building is right, but you always kind of go, it's right, but is it right now? Or is it going to be in two... Exactly the same thing, exactly. And to be honest, um, we didn't operate uh, as... We didn't get the traction that we wanted to in the first couple of years. But I think it's because, and that was really disheartening for me, uh, but we just, we sort of plugged away at it because you hear so many stories of sort of like zero to 10 million in this sort of, and you sort of get caught up in the startup Silicon Valley ecosystem. And uh, I guess the only thing for me is it really feels like your industry is, uh, needs a change and just stay the course. It feels like you're so self-aware in terms of what you're building, uh, but like just stay the course because it might be now, it might be three years time, but I think we're both playing in a really big market uh, and I, I genuinely wish you all the best of luck. Thank you very much. You're very kind. No, not a problem. Listen, this is the bit of the show where we, we wrap up with some fast fire questions and I love the fact that you haven't been sent them ahead of time. Are you ready to tackle them? I am indeed, yeah. 
Cool. Let's get into it. So number one is what is the one thing you know now that you wish you could tell the 18 year old version of yourself? Be patient. Like it. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, my biggest problem with these questions. I always want to follow up with them, but I've got to try and stick to Jeremy's orders, which is rattle through these. Uh, So the second one is what is the number one tool service or hack that you use to get work done that our listeners may never have heard of? I'm sure a few of them would have heard of it, but Slack. Big fan of Slack. And how do you, I guess because you're a remote team, aren't you? Use it. Use it all yes, the time. a load, yeah. And just out of curiosity, uh, oh, you, sorry, you do, you, you're currently doing the development. I'm super keen to work at Do you work with any agencies or freelancers at this point in time? Is it all in house? It's all in house at the moment, but we do have a couple of freelancers that you know I do get in touch with if I've got some questions. I'm always trying to work out how uh, this is selfishly just going on a tangent. How uh, people work with uh, freelancers or agencies and then bring them into Slack channels. If that's a bit over the top or not, I'm I'm trying to find people that do that really well. Um, so I'll, I'll report back when I find them. Um, the next one is: What is the best piece of advice you've been given, and who gave it to you? Oh, the best piece of advice that I've been given. Oh, I've been given lots and lots of advice over the years. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. I probably say my dad actually. Um, and the piece of advice that he's given, again, I say he's given me a lot of advice and that is really, you know, not to give up with a lot of this stuff as well. And he's been a great role model over the years as well. Um, so it, it really is not to give up. Love that. Just out of curiosity, what does your dad do or what did he do? Yeah, he's actually in the uh, textile industry. Cool. And what does, he, what does he think about you cannibalizing your own business? He thinks it's a great idea, um, the actual app itself. And as, as many people have that, uh, that, that initial feeling of really, is that, is that the right way to go? But then the more he has thought about it as well, you know, it's, it's, it, the market has to change. Like it. What is... Then I'm actually going to reword this because we, we keep telling ourselves we need to reword this question. If you weren't doing what you were doing now, what other business would you start? Wow. Um, what other business would I start? Well, I tell you one of the things that I found through this whole journey and not just with this business, with other businesses that I've been involved in. And that is, you know, having some advice, um, somebody that you could, uh, you know, call upon when you, when you either have doubts or if you're looking to raise money or things like that. Um, that is something that I would certainly have thought I, w- I could have got into. Um, if not now, certainly at a later date to just help other startup founders out there through this whole process, because as you know, you know, it's a pretty tough, it's a pretty tough, uh, industry. Tough and uh, bloody lonely. I'm a solo. I'm a, a solo founder. Uh, Absolutely. Like having a network of people to to sort of have as a sounding board, um, just to shoot the shit with and just say like, is this crazy? Like, does anyone else feel like this? It, it can be absolutely invaluable. Exactly. Uh, if you recommend one book or podcast, what is it? Well, podcast wise, I've got to say, you're listening to the Startup Diary um, has been fantastic. Um, I did say at the, the sort of beginning of the show, I think what you guys are doing is really good uh, because it gives startup owners a, a real feel for what goes on. So that's a, a great uh, podcast. Um, Podcasting wise, I, I like NPR. Um, I've listened to a lot of, uh, a lot of the founders that go on to there as well. Quite inspirational. Books wise, I personally like biographies. Um, recently, 
most recently I had an interesting read of um, the hard things, the hardest thing about hard things from Ben Horowitz. Ben Horowitz. Yeah, yeah, really good book. I enjoyed that. Did, really you, did, you, did you read it or listen to it? I read it actually. Uh, I only say that because I think it, I think it's in the audio, but like yeah, in between chapters, he, he drops, I wasn't expecting it. He drops some, like uh, some proper gangster rap in between stuff. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I really think uh, an amazing book. If anyone um, hasn't heard that or read that yet, I think most importantly, because it just sets the, sets the tone of what it's like to run a business. And when things are going mental and there's fires everywhere, it's normal. It happens. Who has had the largest impact on your life? The largest impact on my life would be my son. How old is your son? He's 12. Uh, have you got uh, just one kid? or Just more? the one, yeah. yeah. Love that. And I'm going to follow up with this because I'm a father of two. I've got a five and a three-year-old. Uh, when I asked you that question, you went to your son, why? Well, I, I think, you know, as, as an adult, um, when you have children, as you know, you know, you really do change your outlook, um, about a lot of things change, um, prior to having my son with it, certainly in the business world, you know, I was, I had a different, a different mindset. Um, I was hungry as I'm hungry now, uh, in business, but I had, it's why going back to the initial question you said to me, you know, what would you say to your younger self about patience? And I, I was a little bit impatient with things with different businesses that I was involved in. And I think it just, children just change your mindset, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, a massive change. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that. I think for me, it's like pre-children, you're, you're focused and hungry. Uh, and then after kids, it's like you go up a gear, but you feel like it's for a completely different reason. Like it, it just, it's not about you at that point. And that exactly was, that, right. that was my flip. And that, that was like, uh, that gave me all the energy to sort of just crack on through hard times. Definitely. Uh, last one for me is what is the number one piece of advice that you give to first time founders? So it would be just, you know, get started, get started. And you know, a lot of startup founders who maybe haven't done it before worry about failure. Um, then, you know, it's like, what, what, what's going to happen if I put my money into this and, it, and I lose it or it just doesn't work out. But, you know, in my opinion, what's worse is not actually starting at all because you'll never know. I mean, if you do something and you do fail, uh, the one thing you're going to learn is a lot of lessons. Um, and, and really, no matter how much you lose, those lessons are well worth it. So it's definitely to start and, and really not give up and keep changing things. Uh, you know, if one business fails, you know, start something else. Don't give up. Love that. I think, uh, as you were talking, I thought completely agree. Regret is, is the thing that I just don't want to have when I'm 75 years old. Like Definitely. that's, that's my fear. Like there was, there was a, I watched a Ryan Serhant vlog and he's got a picture of his 80 year old self in his office. And he's like, I work for that guy to make sure that guy isn't pissed off with me when I get there. Uh, so I, <laughs> I love it. I really like that. Demos, listen, I hugely appreciate your time today. And honestly, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself for anyone. For anyone that could uh, benefit from the Marlin app, where do they go to learn about it? So they can go to www.marlinapp.com. Um, we've got all about the app there. I also publish a, a weekly personal blog as well, um, talking all about our journey. Um, I'm on week number 14 I'm writing at the moment, uh, just talking about everything that's going on in the app, the struggles, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. Absolutely love it. So I advise everyone that everyone that listens to this should go and read that to start with uh, because it's definitely the right audience. And if you think you can benefit from the mall app, guys, go check it out. And I guess la very last thing for me, Demos, is 
have you made a podcast yet? No, no, if, no. If, if you're writing this blog, even if you have a podcast and you just read it, uh, I strongly advise you do that because I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you and I know that other people will benefit from your journey. My, my ask off the back of this is, is record the shows and get it into the podcast store and let other people enjoy it too. I'll certainly look into it for sure. Any questions, you know where we are. Definitely. Don't be a stranger. Likewise. Speak to you soon, buddy. Bye-bye. Cheers, Adam. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that interview. Don't forget, head over to Startup Stories and hit subscribe because that's where you can find all of season one and be ready for when we drop season two. Speak to you soon.